So hello everyone and welcome to an episode, a very special episode of The Open Pew. Today I'm sitting down with Tony Caldwell uh, and we are going to be discussing uh, anxiety, uh, self-help, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> uh, anxiety management, I think is how we'll phrase it, uh, in the, the age of quarantine, in the age of uh, coronavirus. And so, Tony, thank you for coming on. Thanks for having me. Yeah. And uh, I want to offer you a chance to introduce yourself before we uh, get started. Uh, so uh, my name's Tony Caldwell, and I'm a, a psychotherapist in private practice in Nashville. Um, I also do uh, quite a bit of uh, activism and uh, writing with Red Letter Christians. And uh, you can find that profile at redletterchristians.org. Um, and... Um, you can also find some of my other work at TonyCaldwell.com. And we'll include that in the show notes. Okay, thank you. Yeah, so so it's a it's a stressful time, obviously. Um, and we're, especially for, I mean, not just for clergy, but especially for clergy right now, um, we're really having to figure out how to be more creative in this time. Um, and I think everybody is, obviously. And so the real question, the, the question that I kind of want to begin with is this question of, uh, of anxiety management, because I know for me, um, I've been really struggling with it uh, over the last few weeks, because um, this kind of blindsided me, cause, like it blindsided everybody. Um, and we kind of went from life is normal to everything's insane uh, without really any time to uh, get ready for it. Yeah, so when when someone goes through a life-altering situation and um, has, you know, difficulty learning how to adapt, and there's no real right or wrong answer to that. It's just a matter of uh, how does this individual person with their given skill set um, you know, walk into a certain set of circumstances in a way that um, leads to some sort of stabilization, um, then that, you know, difficulties in that area um, lend themselves to what we would, I guess, in therapeutic language or clinical language call an adjustment disorder. And I think all of us meet criteria for that at some point in our lives, whether it be a divorce or, um, you know, the loss of a job or something else. That just the world-altering sort of, pandemic. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, yeah, that's that's what I'm what I'm getting to. So I think globally we pretty much all could <laughs> probably qualify for that diagnosis right now in this moment. Um and so I think that that's a shared a shared suffering because of our shared humanity. And uh, in some ways, we're anything but alone in that, in that we're we're having this shared experience. And um, it, I think it really highlights our um, interdependence um, in, in good and bad ways. But we're all experiencing that through our particular psyche or consciousness or um, whatever word you want to use there. Um, but we're we're having this shared experience, but we're very much having it alone in that we're each having to process it through our own 
filters and our own maybe past traumas and wounds and our fears and concerns and anxieties. And those are going to be different given our age and our gender and whether we're, you know, compromised in some way, whether we're parents or not, you know, whether we already have a pre-existing anxiety disorder, how this is affecting our employment and our financial stability. <clears throat> so, uh, so yeah, we're all having this shared experience, but we're very much having very, uh, very individual experiences within that. So, um, I think, you know, trying to, trying to honor the fact that, that those two things can be true at the same time is, is maybe part of how we can try to, um, move towards some sense of, uh, stability in the midst of the chaos, I guess. For lack of lack of lack of a, a better way of saying that, um, yeah, just some way to frame it. You know, it's it's been said before. I think it was Viktor Frankl who said, um, you know, we can um, humans can endure just about anything if it includes some meaning and purpose. But if it doesn't, you know, then we just we just don't fare very well when they're suffering without any kind of meaning or purpose. Yeah. So um, I think, you know, something like leaning into your faith community right now is really difficult because we can't have face to face contact. So staying in touch online uh, through text, through FaceTime, you know, in, in whatever ways we can, I think it's really important because when normalcy breaks down, um, several different things tend to happen. But one is that when we are not as distracted as we're used to being and not as connected as we're used to being, um, we can really fall into some old coping mechanisms or maybe it just intensifies our current coping mechanisms, whether that be drinking or eating or uh, sexualized behaviors or whatever it might be. But one of the biggest um, addictions that we tend to have, um, and I tend to think of addictions not just as substances, but Addictions usually involve people, places, or things. And um, so some of our primary addictions are to people and relationships. And right now, the way that that's navigated is uh, sort of, I mean, it's strained, but I think also it gives us some opportunities to look at that. You know, if some of us are having a heightened anxiety because we have a lot of codependence, then this is an opportunity mixed in with the pain of that. There's the opportunity to learn how to self-soothe and self-regulate in our isolation, you know? So I think reframing things to look for the opportunities for growth provides some of that meaning and purpose. That's just not there. If we're glued to 24 hour news media and just sort of fertilizing our own potential for panic, and anxiety because it Lord knows it's uh, we have every opportunity and every reason to feel panicked right now. Uh, but, you know, we're, we're stuck with sort of the adult uh, way of framing this, which is, you know, we can't control what's happening to us. The only control we have is, is in what we do with that. And uh, so I think, yeah, there's a lot of opportunities there. And that's really easy to say the more we're removed from this or the more we have sort of a privileged removed position, like maybe some financial security or some a safety net in some way. Or 
you know, if we live in a household instead of a loan, you know, so the more that we are affected financially and relationally, let's say, for instance, someone who lives alone and is currently um, not receiving any um, pay because of unpaid time off, then it's really um, it's really easy to throw out a blanket statement that just would not apply to that person given their, their circumstances. So uh, I think we also have to just honor that some of us are in a, in dire straits and some of us are slightly struggling and some of us are, are, you know, somewhat secure given the uh, circumstances. So, um, you know, whatever that, whatever lot we find ourselves in right now, I think we do have to take a, a cold, sober look at that and uh, adjust our expectations accordingly as far as our functioning. Um, because the more that we're in this and the more that we're affected by it, the more symptomatic we may be. And we might have to have a lot of grace for ourselves about that and not judge ourselves too harshly or in comparison to someone else. So I think it's, it's also a time for radical self-compassion and uh, just knowing that any kind of negative talk that we have going on towards ourselves is just really adding insult to injury and, and, and um, is narrating or interpreting our experience in harmful ways in addition to the fact that it's already bad enough without that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'm sure, I'm sure uh, social media and as you said, the 24 hour news media itself uh, really doesn't help the situation. Yeah. I'm, I mean, I don't know about your feed, but when I get on social media, um, I'm, I'm seeing a, a lot of some panic, a lot of complaint um, and, uh, you know, very valid complaints, in my opinion, in a lot of areas. But um, but it's only serving to uh, I think we're cross pollinating. I know when I get on there, I just uh, can't bring myself to really interact in any of those ways because it uh, it feels so bad. You know, it feels like it's intensifying our suffering to vent about it um, in some ways. But I think also it's uh, obviously healthy to acknowledge what we're going through out loud. And if we're doing that through media because we don't have the ability to share that conversation over coffee, then, uh, yeah, there's pros and cons to that. You know, I, I think if we have those privately with someone, it may be a little less damaging than if we're all spewing uh in public ways, you know, that are uh, unintentionally, maybe we're unintentionally hurting one another in that process. But uh, so I don't really have any kind of value judgment about that. Lord knows I've, I've done it plenty of times over the years about various topics and that sort of thing. But I just think in this particular cultural and historical moment, it may not serve our best interest to get too caught up in that. It may work against us, and in, in that it may increase. It may increase anyways, and in that anyways that we're symptomatic. I think exposure to media, uh, social media, and news media right now, it may increase our symptomatology uh, more than help. Um, so, yeah, I, I would just say wise consumption, and you can. You can know. I mean, you, for me, I can do a I can do a body scan. Like I don't watch 24-hour news media, but if I if maybe my wife has it on when I walk in from work or something, 
I can do a body scan and feel how I feel uh, by just hearing maybe two or three minutes of that. And I'll just maybe go to another room. <laughs> you know, we, we sort of have a, an understanding that, um, you know, that it doesn't affect her in quite the same way it does me. I'm more sensitive to it. Um, so we just work around that in ways that are, you know, healthy for us as individuals and as a as a couple. So just whatever that might look like in your given circumstance, I would I would say, you know, just maybe pay attention to where you carry tension in your body or where you feel uh, an increase in maybe your respirations or heartbeat or anything. If you just tune in and pay attention, you'll realize um, your body's sometimes a really good thermometer for um, what exposure to certain um input, you know, it might be doing to you that you might not be consciously aware of. Yeah. So tuning into, um, you know, where, where are you carrying this in your body? You know, for me, I carry stress in the neck and the jaw, you know, or in headaches. It tends to be because I'm, 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 I'm in my head a lot because I'm, I'm a therapist and I'm, I'm, you know, all day t- listening. And, uh, so that's where I'm, I'm really tuned in. Uh, and so that's where I tend to carry my stress for for some people. They carry it as tightness in the chest. Um, you know, some people feel it in various different ways. And um, but I, I think, again, there's there's opportunities here to get to know ourselves better. And if that's one, then that I, I could think that that could be a good uh, side effect of, of what's going on. That we get to know ourselves a little better, our coping uh, positive and negative and, uh, and also just listening to our, uh, our thoughts. Um, you know, when I, when I'm around a lot of negativity or division, um, my impulse is to feed into it, um, to, uh, react to it after a certain amount of time. So, um, knowing that about myself helps me to not get to that point. Uh, so, and some of us are way more passive than that. I tend to be, you know, somewhat passive and, and peaceful, but uh, you expose me to those kind of arguments long enough and I can feel very reactive and maybe even become reactive or um, a little maybe uh, snarky or snide or uh, I don't know, just have a little bit of an aggressive edge to maybe not what I say, but how I say it, that sort of thing. So. I think just uh, we all have those different potentials, whatever our you know given uh, personality is and, and our socialization. Um, some of us may inter- you know instead of externalizing in that way, we may internalize some of these things. And I think that's where a lot of this circumstantial anxiety happens for us is that um, you know some of us react to these things, um, but some of us internalize it, and especially children. So I would say. You know, children don't have as many um, ways to externalize as adults do. So, you know, we tend to focus on a child, um, a child's behavior more than we do our own sometimes. And uh, children have less options for externalizing um, and more supervision or more criticism, at least usually for ways in which they externalize. But for we adults, we can do any manner of things to, to, you know, many degrees without much accountability. So we just have to, we have to self-parent during this time. 
um, because I can guarantee you we're all um, reacting behaviorally in some way from, I mean, you know, I think self-disclosure is a great thing just for our own, own humility and just to sort of open up the conversation for us to all look at ourselves. And I can tell you that during this time, I, I have definitely had more trips to the fridge and the pantry <laughs> than I typically do. Uh, <laughs> it's because I'm home more, but it's also because that's how I historically have dealt with my stress. Uh, that's that's probably my major coping uh, issue is, you know. Um, and right now with the, the, the fear that's around the fear of black and you see that showing up in empty grocery, <laughs> uh, empty shelves at the, at the grocery oh, yeah. store and that sort of thing. Um, then that fear of black can lead us to overeat and overconsume, not just to overpurchase, but to consume those things that we overpurchase, you mm-hmm. know? Um, so yeah, and that's another way where we, we just pay attention to our bodies. You know, when I walk to the fridge, I have to ask myself, am I really hungry or is this emotional eating? You know, those sorts of things. So, again, you know, I'm not trying to paint a smiley face on this thing, but the fact <laughs> is, the fact is we're either going to suffer or we're going to suffer and also learn and grow mm-hmm. uh, through this. And so uh, those are just some ways that, that I think we could uh, – Stand to, to take the good with the bad, you know, to find some benefit in all of this madness. Mm-hmm. To yeah. use to use for good what has been intended for evil. To yeah. to speak about it theologically for a minute. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if uh, you know, there's so many ways that uh, you know, this situation is showing us individually and collectively what our idols are, mm-hmm. and. Uh, and that's good information to have, and that's good insight to have. I just hope we can. Um, I hope that we can be very awake uh, to that, and take note of that, and make changes accordingly, and then right. not uh, forget it all and go back to our default mode two weeks after this is over. Mm-hmm. You know? That yeah. we can that we can learn and use it for the good, rather than just sort of continuing in the self destructive behaviors. Absolutely. I yeah. mean, I mean, I, I, you know, you you would be better at at naming all these things and <laughs> than I would. But um, I've definitely thought a lot about some of the words of the prophets during this time. You know, <laughs> yes. And, and about ways in which we might need to return to a simpler way and to more sane ways of living and consuming. And um, it's it's really made me think about my spending patterns and uh, in ways in which I'm not um, where I'm wasteful and mm-hmm. made me think of ways in which I could be more frugal. And uh, yeah, it's had me rethinking a lot of things like that. Yeah, I know. I know one of my things that I've been experiencing is uh, the, the sort of psychosomatic symptoms. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Where if I spend too much time on social media or or anything like that, and uh, I start or or start googling the coronavirus too in depth, I'll start to like feel like I have it. Right. Um, and having spoken to a lot of friends, um, I know a lot of people experience this same sort of thing, where where we're just sort of like giving ourselves the symptoms and freaking ourselves out even more. Um, and starting just starting that sort of feedback loop um, mm-hmm. 
And and fortunately for me, my wife has been very good at calling me out for my anxiety, or or rather making me aware of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I might I might have one of those moments of like I I I'm coughing right now. I'm coughing <laughs> I'm coughing from my lungs. I'm definitely gonna die. This is it. Um, and and she she's often able to calm me down in that and be like. No, you're having an anxiety attack <laughs> uh, because she's dealt with it her whole life, and so she's much better at coping. She's learned a lot more of the coping skills than I have. Right. Yeah, I mean, um, we do have a lot of information at our fingertips, uh, and a lot of us sort of web MD ourselves, <laughs> you know, and that sort of thing. And, and whether it's uh, some kind of psychological suffering or emotional suffering or physical ailments you know i've i've definitely done that in the past and you know i remember also in uh in graduate school when we were you know learning how to diagnose um difficulties or disorders um you know kind of the joke among the faculty and and among the students well you know well the faculty were warning us about this and the students you know we were all experiencing it as they were you know, warning us about it and sort of laughing about it uh, is that uh, we all sort of thought we had every disorder, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and I think because we all do have um, to some degree some some, you know, uh, we we all have some of the characteristics of several different disorders. It doesn't <laughs> necessarily have a full blown disorder, but, uh, you know, it's all it's all human stuff. So, uh and we we all experience um, you know the full range of human emotions and experiences, um, or at least are you know have the uh, the possibility um, given whatever circumstances we we uh, face or whatever may go be going on in us biologically. Um, so anyway, um, all that to say, I think there there is some wisdom in that. You know we. Uh, we do have an experience, even if it is psychosomatic. Uh, we're, you know, when we're having a psychosomatic complaint, we're, we're, even though we may be helping create that symptom, or, or we're definitely interpreting what we think we're feeling. It, it's definitely an experience we are having, mm-hmm. even if it's not, even if it's not completely accurate. It's still completely valid in that mm-hmm. we're not we're not making it up. It's it's something that it, that we very much feel is happening to us in the moment. So, um, you know, and it's it's difficult to know. And in fact, we can't really know for sure um, if something we're experiencing is completely psychosomatic or not. Um, you know, we can look at our patterns and and say, yeah, I have a tendency to do this. And but you know, I know for me, there there have been times where I've had um, clients who have historically had psychosomatic complaints and had a very much of a, a real um, medical situation going on simultaneously, mm-hmm. you know, and just sometimes, you know, they're coexisting and it's, it's difficult to know what's what. So, yeah, I think a, having a lot of grace uh, for ourselves around that and, and hopefully towards one another around that because it's uh it's real and i think at the end of the day all fear um you know any phobia or whatever it might be all 
at its core is a fear of death and death is going to happen to us at some point and it's a valid fear and uh you know there are some people out there who have died in the past few hours or days who last week didn't know that was in the cards for them so um you know, I don't say that to ramp up anxiety for anybody that's listening. It's just just to honor the fact that in everything that we pathologize uh, or find fault with, there is a grain of wisdom there. Um, and so sometimes when we have trouble distinguishing between paranoia and like gut or intuition, um, there's probably both present at the mm-hmm. same time. We It's just... It's all mud, you know, mm-hmm. and that that that's difficult. So, um, yeah, yeah. So, so the the concept of, of self compassion then mm-hmm. being the, being an obvious uh, point to make. Mm-hmm. Um, so, one of the questions I might uh, pose uh, deals with people who are uh, people who are isolated, right? Uh, because some of us are lucky enough to have families, or unlucky, as the case might be. Right. Um, but uh, but some of us are also like home alone during mm-hmm. this. Um, yeah. And and that was actually a conversation I had with my wife just today. Is we only got married like two weeks before this all started. Oh wow! <laughs> well, congratulations. No. <laughs> Thank you. Hopefully this is the hopefully this is the for worst part. What a honeymoon, huh? Right. <laughs> Um, but, uh, but I was talking with her and I was like, you know, I'm really glad that, uh, we were able to get married before this happened, uh, because I couldn't imagine like being cooped up in my house alone during this. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, like that made me realize like not in a, not in a guilty way, but made me realize like there are people who are alone, um, right. in this. And what, what might you say for those, uh, those people, um, looking for looking for ways of connection uh looking for ways of uh feeling not so isolated right um so that's so case by case i have several clients in that um in that situation right now and um the one major factor that i'm thinking about is um is the age of the particular individual that's experiencing that you know so i have a, a client who is a college student uh, who lives alone and literally our um, our online contact right now is the only contact she really has because uh, she's estranged from her family and is very introverted and and so that's extremely difficult for her and really developmentally she um, is you know, sort of wired to gain meaning and purpose and all of that from social connection. And, uh, but it has really helped us to work on the fact for her to, to become acutely aware of the fact and, uh, and to start working on that in a new way that this was an issue for her before, uh, she was quarantined. And now there are numerous people having, um, the experience that she has on a daily basis year round, even independent of this crisis. So uh, it's really helped her to see her need to work through some of the internal barriers she has to connection 
And even though those are based in some past hurts and traumas and being ignored and excluded and not invited and all these things that happen maybe in like middle school and high school, um, that um, this is really helping her. Like part of the growth for her in this is seeing that once this quarantine is over, she's got to find new ways of seeking community that is adequate for her uh, because those previous experiences just were not adequate for her and led to this feeling of uh, not being worthy of connection or not good enough for connection or not wanted because that's been her experience. You know, when you're excluded in several settings over several years, that's just sort of the, the type of um, meaning that we're going to make out of that. You know, what's this mean about me? But, uh, but it's helping her to see, you know, how um, that storyline and those past experiences are the things that are inadequate, not her as a human, you know. And uh, so that that's one example. We also have our, a lot of elders who live alone and a lot of el- elder women in particular who live al- alone because, uh, you know, women's lifespans are a little bit longer than men's in America. And uh, so that's uh, that's a particular form of. Um, Vulnerability is to be uh, an older person living alone. And uh, even if you have relatives, they really can't come into the house right now. Um, You know, kids who were at school and older grandkids who were off to college and um, adult children who travel may all potentially introduce something to grandma or grandpa that that could kill them. so, yes, it's particularly hard right now, depending on the life stage, you know, for uh, a grandparent, that sense of meaning and purpose and connection comes from time spent with family. And um, I think, again, that gives us a way of looking at the fact that for a lot of our elders, that is already an unmet need before this crisis happened. Uh, we have a culture that tends to say, go play golf or go to the nursing home or something like that. And uh, we've lost that um, really human need for elders to be involved in uh, the lives of the uh, younger generations and to give their accumulated knowledge and skills and wisdom uh, to those generations. And that's really a lost art in our culture. Um you know, when I'm with uh, friends who uh, I'm thinking in particular of a friend uh, from a Hispanic culture and how preserved that is in his particular family. And uh, and I've seen it on mission trips to Ecuador and other places as well. But um, I think it's also stronger. There's a lot of strong, uh, especially matriarchs in the African-American community um, in ways that I just really not to be too stereotypical or paint too broad of a stroke, but I think it is something that's missing in the lives of a lot of, um, you know, in particular white people in America. And I think that's why some of the highest suicide and addiction rates in America, uh, prescription drug addiction and, uh, and suicidality is among older white men. Uh, and I think we, we typically don't learn, uh, how to connect emotionally and we externalize and get our meaning and purpose through career. And then later in life, we, we feel very empty and lonely. Uh, so 
again, I just uh, the, these are a lot of I know there's this list is a lot of information, but it's just various ways in which I see um, the opportunities in this for this to be a mirror to say, OK, some, let me focus on what needs to be repaired. But I think this also shows us that a lot of the things that that we feel like we can attribute to this uh, virus or this quarantine highlight issues that are already issues before this quarantine and they'll still be issues after this quarantine. So we might have then before us an opportunity to sort of learn more empathy, uh, more compassion. Absolutely. And just to, uh, I mean, I think it's a great time to recalibrate and just rethink our lives in general um, and not just in how we spend and how we spend our time, but just how we relate to one another. I mean, uh, another example is, uh, you know, we've been living through a time of, uh, you know, division uh, between red and blue or conservative and liberal or whatever way you want to frame that, that uh, has just about killed us, (laughs) it seems, you know. And I think, uh, you know, the way that that responses to this are playing out um, are – very much um, informed by um, that division. And so we're, it's almost like we're, as a nation, this giant dysfunctional household trying to figure out a problem together. And we're seeing how that lack of uh, a meaningful connection is just not um, the best container for trying to hold and wrestle with um, a, st- a systemic problem. Um, we uh, we're, we're very much a, a human family, and we're very much a dysfunctional human family. And I would like to think that this situation would almost be like a spike temperature that would burn this out of us. Um, you know, 9/11 did that. There was a, there was a sense of peace and calm amongst all people, uh, seemingly. Uh, for a week or so after 9-11, but we pretty quickly got back to our bickering and division. And um, yeah, so I just, um, you know, I, I think, again, it's, a, it's an opportunity to do the only thing that we can do is, is as an individual say, what is going to be my daily response to to my life and to the people I care about? Um to the least of these and to society and to the world. Yeah. And thank you so much for coming on. I know we had some trouble getting this scheduled, but I think this had a lot of gold in it and was a very valuable conversation. Yeah. I'm sorry about that too. I'm usually less chaotic, but, uh, life is chaotic right now. (laughs) Yeah. To the point that, uh, I mean, I literally never take naps and that happened the other day. And then last night, uh, came home from work and sat down on the couch and I woke up at two in the morning on the couch. That never happens. So, yeah. But yeah, thanks for uh, hanging in there and being patient with me. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, thank you. Um, and I pray, uh, I pray for your well-being. Yeah. Uh, thank you. Likewise. <laughs> and we'll connect. We'll, we'll stay connected through this, but hopefully we'll see each other on the other side. All right. Well, thanks. Thank you.